0: Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord today, and I'm looking forward to what God may say to us. We had a wonderful time in the service in the first hour, and uh, it was uh, just something the Lord does, just something the Lord does, and I pray He'll do it again and again and again. I had an experience this week, which was probably not too uncommon to all of you, and that is that uh, I had to go get a new car battery. After four years, I had to go get a new car battery. And it was an amazing experience. I, I went to this place, and they tested the battery. And the gentleman said, uh, yes, you need a new battery. And he said, by the way, how long have you had it? And I said, four years since I bought the car. And uh, he said, wow, that's amazing. He said, uh, most batteries only last about two years. And then I was thinking in my mind, why am I buying a two-year battery from you then? You know, But I didn't say that to him. I just was wondering. And, uh, so even in the battery thing, I saw the grace of God. So God made this battery go longer than it was supposed to. And, uh, but all this taught me the importance of having a source of power to make things work. It taught me that you have to have a source of power. Uh, with energy, uh, with energy, necessities and luxuries will not work as we know it. All right, we have to have that power. We have to have sources of power to uh, make things that we have in our lives work. And it's also true in the spiritual realm as well. God has designed the church in such a way that it needs and has to have a source of power to carry out its mission, which is to make disciples. You know, Jesus said it all when he said that without me, you can do nothing. So anything that God asks us to do apart, and we try to do it apart from him, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to work. We have to have a source of power. And so uh, this brings up a lot of important questions for us, because as believers, I'm sure that one of the big questions in your mind right now is what is the source of the power for us and for the church? What is this power? Is it enough? Is it going to be powerful enough? Uh, For example, I could have gone in and bought any battery off the shelf. But luckily, as God would have it, there was a man to help me. And he said, oh, you need this battery. You know, I was going for the cheapest battery. And he said, you need this battery. And so if I got the wrong battery, it wouldn't work. My car wouldn't work. So you have to have the adequate power. So is the power source that God gives us adequate? How is it harnessed? How is it harnessed? You know, and I know that you know it doesn't. You know that if you open up the hood of the car, right? There's these little wires that run from the from the battery to the engine and so on and so forth. I don't know all the things about it, but I do know you have to be connected in order to make things work. When you go home today and you turn on your computer or whatever, you get you need to have a source of power. So there has to be a connection. So how uh, is one connected to the power that God has supplied? So I believe that if we find the answers to these questions, and we will in the scriptures uh, about the source of power for us and in the church, we can be stronger than we are now. And we can actively do what God wants us to do. All right. And so this becomes important to all of us. So what does the Bible say about the source of power for the church? Okay, what is the source of power for the church? And so, this becomes important to us. Now, as you know, we started a series last week called, What Does the Bible Say About the Church? It's most important to us. It's God's creation. It is God's tool that he uses. And so, we want to know what he says about it. And so, the Bible has a lot to say about the church. So, last week, we learned that the mission of the church started with a promise from uh, Christ. And so for this, we went to Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. And so this is Jesus talking to the disciples. And then uh, he asked them a question. Who do you say that I am? And then this answer came from Simon Peter. He answered, you are Christ. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, Jesus said. In reply, So, what is the rock? The rock is the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so, it would be upon this truth that the church would be built. But if you look at the latter half of that verse, he also says, And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He's saying Satan and death and all of the things that Satan has to use against the church... They will not overpower it. It will be strong. It will have tremendous authority and power. Now, all this to say that the church and the believers who make it up are God's licensed agents to accomplish his work here on earth. Wow. So I know some of you got up this morning and you said to yourself, why am I up? What am I going to do today? Why am I here? And the the Bible clearly says, you are here to do what God wants you to, to, to do. You are God's licensed agent to accomplish what God wants to do here on the earth. And so you and the church together are to do this. Also, we learned last week that the mission of the church is to make disciples. To make disciples. This was Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And enclosed in this verse was both a mandate and the method, the mandate and the method. The mandate or the command was to make disciples. And as we learned last week, this has both a personal and a church dimension to it, It has a corporate dimension to it. The personal dimension can be uh, best expressed in the words of our friend, Anthony Evans. This pastor put it this way. The personal dimension of discipleship, a growth process by which we Christians learn to progressively bring all of life under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he says. So that's what discipleship does. It gets us to that point where we want to give ourselves to the Lord and put him under his authority. But there's also a part for the church in this process. What is that? That it also comes uh, in an express and a quote from uh, our friend uh, Pastor Anthony Evans. Discipleship is a developmental process of the local church by which Christians are brought from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, so that they can reproduce the process with others. You see the lead there, and so we bring people from infancy. To maturity. We help them along with this whole process. And so that's what we learned last week. This was the command. But Jesus didn't stop there by saying, go do this, go do that. He said, this is how you are going to do it. And he gives us three words. And they're in the words, go, go to people. And then baptizing them, help them to identify with the uh, death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through baptism. And then teach them. All that I have given to you. And so those three things help us to accomplish this particular task. So that's what we learned last week. The mission of the church is clearly to make disciples, and we are to do it God's way. But the question is that this is no easy task, it is very complex, it is very comprehensive it is fraught with all kinds of challenges because there's too many things we can't control, right? And so we say to ourselves, well, nice mission. That's a nice thought. Now what? How are we ever going to do this? And it's like Jesus anticipated this perfectly. And so he gives us instructions. He says, this is how it's going to happen. I will give you the power to do this, I will give you a source of power to do this. Now, what is the source of power? If you look at Acts chapter 8, then we will find the power source for the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it reads like this But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, you can make a whole sermon just on that one verse, but we're just going to be touching on it today. But some things I want you to notice, first of all, is the power of the church is not a what. It is a who. Did you get that? It's not a what. It's a who. For example... The, church, the power for the church is not some mysterious fuel, okay? It is not some generator that's hidden off in the universe somewhere. And somehow we get these, you know, vibrations or we somehow get the source. It's not a generator. It's not a fuel. It's also not an organization or an operational system. You know, since I've come to Singapore, I've learned, I've, I've just been learning and learning and learning. And I know how much Singaporeans love their organizations and they love their processes. And so every time when something comes up, everybody says, what's the process, pastor? What's this? What are the steps? And I thought, okay, that's good. But don't depend on them. Ultimately, it's going to be something else that supplies the power for the church. What is it? It is a who. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be the one to provide the power. Well, some of you are sitting out there and saying, well, okay, who is this Holy Spirit? You know, who is this Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us that he's the third member of the Holy Trinity. In Acts chapter 28, right? It says, baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not saying three gods. The Bible tells us that they're all one. They're all God, Okay? And so it is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Also, he's the one who will come after Christ goes back to the Father. Acts, uh, John chapter 16. Would you turn to that, please? John chapter 16, verse 7. And he says this to his disciples. But I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, he says. The helper, it was referring to the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down on the earth to do his ministry. This is not strange. He did this in the Old Testament, but only temporarily. But when the New Testament came, he came down and he took up permanent residency, as we will see in just a moment. He would come specifically after Christ had ascended into heaven, empowering the church with amazing abilities to share the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we read earlier when he came. Jesus promised it. He says, look, he says, I'm going away, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. And if anybody had a way of making an entrance, it was the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 tells us of this wondrous appearance of the Holy Spirit. That he was able to do these things. And so we marvel at how much he can do. The church is not left powerless, but made full with the Holy Spirit. You see? So when you and I are thinking about, you know, this whole business making disciples, it's so hard. The Holy Spirit, you know, trying to convince people about Jesus Christ and all this and trying to get people to follow. It's so hard. You know, why don't we just all give up? You know, why don't we just all go and just eat some more? You know, whatever. Okay. God comes back and he says, no, you don't. He says, I have given you the power source in which to accomplish this. And this is in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the church? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? You see, God gave the Holy Spirit with a specific task to do, now what is it that he was be, he has been given to do? Well, he has an important part in the in the role of the lives of the believers and the church. Now, there are many different ministries of the Holy Spirit. This is not a message on the Holy Spirit. We'll save that for another time. But I want to point out two of them to you that are especially needful and important to the church in the context of the church and it is he will be our teacher if you look at john chapter 14 john chapter 14 verse 26 you'll see this verse 26 john chapter 14 verse 26 speaking of the holy spirit jesus said this but the helper the holy spirit Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance. All that I said to you. Yes. The Holy Spirit will come perhaps. Through the ministry of a teacher. A human teacher. Or maybe a book. Or maybe a a CD. Or video. Or some kind of thing like that. The method is not as important. The means by which it happens is. And that is the Holy Spirit. That will be teaching us. If you look at. John chapter 16, verse 13, is amplified even further. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So, the role of the believer, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer and the church is to be the teacher and the guide into truth, you see? And that's a very, very important role for the spirit. Otherwise, what do we know? Anything about what God says, you see? Because we, won't, we can't possibly understand it all on our own. But it's the, with the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will, make, who will help us make sense of all this. I was, um, I was uh, talking to a man in our church back in Texas. And he's a typical Asian. He's a typical Asian male. And so, for years, he had come to church faithfully with his wife. His wife was a believer, but he wasn't. And so, for years, he came. He always sat in the same place, sort of like a lot of you do. You sit exactly in the same place. You know, the pew has your mold, you know, you you feel comfortable there, okay? And so, what happens is, he came up one day to me, and he says, Pastor, I want to share with you that I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I said, whoa, whoa. It was almost like I got hit by two by four, you know, and I and I I said to him, well, tell me, how did it happen? You know, and I was so hoping he would say it was that wonderful message you gave, you know, but he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, I was sitting there one day. And I was contemplating all of the things my wife had been saying, my Christian friends had been saying, I was, you know, these things that I that had been happening in my life. And all of a sudden he said, and everything came together. And suddenly he understood that it was God that was in control. And that God loved him, and that God wanted him to become one of his. And suddenly he realized that the only way he could come to God was through Christ. And believing that Christ died on the cross and rose again from the grave for his sins. And because of that, he had the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You see, it just came together. The teaching ministry, the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit, you see, came together in his life. And so it's so important that it happens in believers, but also happens in unbelievers, I was talking to another person in our church and he he was a believer and he was kind of lukewarm as things go. He had grown up in the church and he had heard everything at least a thousand times. And so one day he was sitting there and suddenly he came to me. He just said, Pastor, I I, I really want to I really want to get involved. I said, wow, what was it that happened? How did this happen that you suddenly decide you want to get involved? I was hoping you would say that wonderful message you gave. But he didn't. He just said, I don't know. Suddenly I was thinking about it and God just put everything together. The teaching ministry, the guiding ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is so important. But the Spirit also has the role of being the giver of spiritual gifts. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And it says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And if you jump then on to verse 7, it says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then if you jump on to verse 11, you read, But the one and the same Spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. So the ministry, the Holy Spirit has this very important role, where he distributes the spiritual gifts and abilities that you and I need to make these things happen. You see? So the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the church. And that's part of his role. Now, there's one more role that I really need to bring to to bear. And that is this role in unbelievers' lives. And he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment in John chapter 16. Turn to John chapter 16, verse 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, that again would make a whole sermon by itself. But we don't have time to go through all of that. We'll save it for another time. But notice here the three things that the Holy Spirit does He convicts the world of sin. Now, notice it didn't say sins, it didn't say it's not plural, okay? Because wouldn't that make sense? Because there's plenty of sins going around, and the Holy Spirit needs to convict He said one sin, one particular sin. What is that one sin? Well, if you take the context, it is not believing that Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, you see? And so the world will bring that up. It'll bring it to your attention. And he will say, what are you going to do about Jesus Christ, you see? And so he does that. And then he also will convict the world of righteousness, true righteousness. Uh, we know that this was a ministry the Holy Spirit picked up from Christ who did it while he was here on the earth. Jesus Christ oftentimes had encounters with the Pharisees. What were the encounters and conflicts over? They were over, more likely than not, the self-righteousness of the pharisees they thought they were so good that they didn't need any help from anybody and so in many ways people who don't accept christ say i don't need god i don't you know jesus christ or any other god i don't need him you see and so the holy spirit will come in and he will convict them of true righteousness which is found in christ and then the last one judgment the world's judgment about things Uh, uh, concerning Christ are perverted by Satan. And so what happens is that uh, the world ends up rejecting Christ. And so the Holy Spirit comes in and he puts everything together for them. And he says that your judgment is wrong. Jesus Christ is truly who he says he is. All this is to say that human beings have sinned, violated God's law, deserving God's judgment and wrath. And this comes, this is all solved by coming to Christ. As your personal Savior. In Romans chapter five, verses eight to nine, it says this Romans chapter eight. Uh, Romans chapter five. Verse eight But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, it says. You see, and this becomes so, 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 so important. So this is be obviously very helpful to us and very uh, concerning to us when we spread the gospel, when we share Jesus Christ with other people as part of making disciples. You know, I know that many people here in this room are faithful to share the gospel. I know many of you do, and many of us have yet to do that. But sometimes we get caught into depending on the method. We depend on some certain key uh, way of communication. For example, we might use the Roman road. Nothing wrong with that. Verses out of the book of Romans that clearly lead to Christ. We may use the four spiritual laws from the Campus Crusade. Very good, very good communication. We may use the bridge from the navigators. And you may have your favor, You may have a combination of these that you use. But it's not the method that's ultimately going to do it, that's going to carry the day. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so this is an important role that the church has. The Holy Spirit supplies the power and means of impacting believers to be what God wants them to be. And it supplies the power and the means for unbelievers to know what they need to know to become believers. You see? And so that's why the Holy Spirit becomes so, 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 so important. You see? He has this role. He was promised to us and he has this role. But that leads us to this last point, which is probably the one that's probably of most practical importance to us. And this is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and the believers who make up the church, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the way that we find out how we're plugged into the Holy Spirit so that His ministry can flow through us, okay, that it can work the way it's supposed to, is by being plugged into the Holy Spirit. But how's that going to happen? Well, there's two truths that are taught in the Scripture that will help us to understand this. The first one is the Holy Spirit's indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you look at uh, John chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. John chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. We see this as Jesus was closing the uh, closing in on the day when he would be crucified and leaving his disciples. But he wasn't going to leave them without some important truths, and one of them is found in John chapter fourteen, verse seventeen. And then talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper, he says, that is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But, whenever you see the word but in scriptures, it's very important. Okay, it's very important. Don't forget the buts, okay? (laughs) Remember the buts, okay? But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Whoa, now that is amazing because we sit out here half the time and we're saying, I can't do this. I can't think this way. I can't behave this way. It's impossible. Or we think God has abandoned us. God has left us. You know, God is not in the house. (laughs) Okay. And we think that Satan puts that lie into us all the time. But the Bible says he will be in you. Okay. So he's in all of us who've accepted Christ as our savior. But there's something about this dwelling in you that's a little bit different. Because not only does he come in, but he comes in permanently. Permanently. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I mean, verse 9. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit. He penned this. However, you are not in the flesh. But. Did you? Remember the but? In the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, everyone who has accepted Christ as their Savior, who is a child of God, has the Holy Spirit in them, and it is a permanent residency. Okay? He has PR, if you will, in our lives. Okay? He is a permanent resident in our life. And if that's so, that means we permanently have the power and the resource to accomplish what God wants us to do. You see, one of the hardest things to do is what's going on in your mind and heart right now. Because you're saying something like this. If the power of God really is in me and permanent in me, how come I don't feel this or I feel that? It has nothing to do with feelings, my friend. It has everything to do with faith. God said it. I believe it. I will do it. You see? And so that's what God is saying to us. He says, look, I have given you the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the life of a church. And it is something that's going to be there. And it's something that's going to be there permanently. You have that. And that's a wondrous thought. That's a wondrous thought. Now, the second concept is found in his filling, the Holy Spirit's filling. There was the indwelling, and then there was the filling. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, this is where we will see this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Again, this is another verse you could do a whole message on, a whole sermon on. It's just pregnant with all kinds of truths, but we can only touch on a few of them. First of all, when you look at this verse, it says that it says that uh, there there is a command, there's a mandate in there, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Do not do this, but remember the buts. Do this. Be filled with the Spirit. And so, notice there's something about the command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Okay. It's not like Jesus comes up to you and politely says, if you feel like it, if you think you need this, do this. He doesn't do that. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Notice also that it is addressed in plural form. It's to every believer and not just an elect few or sort of elite few. There are some people who believe, oh boy, you want to be a Spirit-filled Christian? Well, you know, you you remember now, it has to be the special group of Christians. He says, uh-uh, he opened it to every all Christians. And then when he says, be filled, it's in the passive voice, it means that God is the one who will do the filling. And then it's written in the present tense, so it means keep on being filled. He says, don't hear this command once, but keep on being filled with the Spirit, he says. So all of this is part of this command part. But that leads us to the next part. What is, me, what is the meaning of be filled with the Spirit? Being filled with the Spirit is all a matter of control. Who is controlling your life? Okay? Who is controlling your life? Uh, There's a famous pastor in the United States called Charles Stanley. Some of you might remember him. Some of you might have read his material. But he had this to say about this filling of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit implies freedom... For Him to occupy every part of our lives, guiding and controlling us. Then this power can be exerted through us so that what we do is fruitful to God. You see, how many times have we wanted to do something meaningful and, and significant for God? But we leave God out of the picture, we leave the Holy Spirit out, and it doesn't happen. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to make this possible, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the control, being controlled by the Spirit. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, letting his mind through the Word dominate everything that is thought and done. That is thought and done. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He said this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, he says. You get the idea? Who's controlling your life? Who's going to help you and the church overcome its fleshly tendencies? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God. That's what who's going to make it happen. Well, being filled with the Spirit means being controlled by him. And that brings us to the last part. What is the means of being filled by the Spirit of God? How does this filling happen? Okay. Now, this is probably, you know, the nuts and bolts. This is probably the core. This is the meat of the whole thing today. Because after you said, oh, the Holy Spirit does this, the Holy Spirit does that. I want that. How am I going to make that happen in my life? You see? And the Bible answers that. Well, first of all, it tells us what will keep us from being filled. You know what will keep us from being filled is sin. Is sin. Okay? If you look at 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19, it says do not quench the spirit. The fire of God's spirit can be extinguished by sin. If you want to stop the Holy Spirit from doing anything significant in your life and mine, all we have to do is sin. Okay? And sin has a devastating impact on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and on God. Really? God grieves over our sin. God just becomes sorrowful over our sin. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And it says, do not Grieve the Holy Spirit of God, don't make him sorrowful, by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption," it says. So sin obviously has a way of keeping us from being filled. So what keeps us being filled? The opposite. It's obedience to the word to God and to His word. Charles Stanley said it this way. It is not praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes the filling. Only our obedience to God's commands allows the Spirit freedom to work within us. When the Holy Spirit controls the life that is lived in obedience to God's word, things happen. Things happen. Wonderful things happen because we have the power and the resource available to make them happen. And so we look at Galatians chapter 5 again. And if you look at verse 25, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And another way the word walk is translated is follow the Spirit in obedience. See, this becomes really, really important to us both in individuals and as a church. There are things in our life that need to be changed. There are things in our life that need to happen. And they're only going to happen if the Holy Spirit is free to work in us, if he is filling us, if he's controlling us. The presence of the Holy Spirit is possible because of the permanent indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life providing a potentially inexhaustible supply of power to the believer and to the church. Now, as you're sitting out there and things are winding down, you're probably saying to yourself, but still, Pastor, how is this all going to work? Well, first of all, I think there has it's a question of yieldedness and surrender and submissiveness, okay? I'm not going to try to impress you with some kind of Uh, magical prayer that you say or some kind of magical act that you do, like walking down the aisle, raising your hand or anything like that. It comes down to personal yieldedness and submissiveness and surrender of your heart. I want the Holy Spirit to control me. This is not going to be easy. You know why? Because the church and individuals have been so easily distracted and have come up with all kinds of excuses. Like what? Like, for example, these are ones that I've come across over these years, and that is that people and churches and individuals are fond of saying, that's just my personality. That's just the way the church is. I've been here a long time, and that's the way it is here. You know? But... The Holy Spirit can change our personality. He can change the makeup of a church if we will let him. If we will let him. Others would say, well, that was how I was raised. And so many an individual has said to me and says, you know, I am the way I am because that's the way I was raised. You know, blame it on them. (laughs) You know, we we have all kinds of fabulous ideas about that. The Spirit can change how we raise into the way we ought to be. He can overcome that as well. There's other people who would say, I've always been like this. I've always been like this. I see no need to change. The Spirit, When the Spirit is in control, everything can be different as he transforms us supernaturally. If we allow the Holy Spirit to change ours, us and to change our church and invite others to do the same, that's when the power of God will come in. That's when the power of God will kick in. So, the mission of the church is clear: is to make disciples, but no easy task. It needs power. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit that indwells and fills us. So, if I might ye- leave anything with you this morning, may I leave this with you? Turn on the power. By turning over control of your life to the Spirit of God, okay. Turn over your life to turn control of your life over to the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you said many things to us this morning. Some of them we'll remember. Some of them we will easily forget. But Father, may the things we remember are the things you want to say to us. We are not powerless. We are powerful in the Holy Spirit. As individuals and as a church, let us lay aside all of the distractions all of the excuses. Father, may your spirit take control of our lives and may we yield our hearts and our souls and our life to you.